So one of the big lessons we've learned so far um, is that three houses is a lot. (laughs) The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 283. The building that is now the Lowe's Philadelphia Hotel on 12th and Market was the country's first completely air-conditioned building. And trust me, when it gets over 100 in August, you need it. Reviews, reviews, reviews. Everything nowadays is based upon reviews. You go to Yelp to find out reviews on restaurants. You look at TripAdvisor. Everyone wants to make sure they're getting very good reviews. When you have an Airbnb investment property, that is no different. You have to get those good reviews coming in right away. And we're going to be talking about that and a bunch of other tips and tricks that we've learned from buying, furnishing, and setting up three different Airbnb properties in the last seven months. Now, I just found out that one of my favorite products out there, one that you've heard me talk about quite a lot, the Tortuga Outbreaker Backpack, just got named by my favorite review site in the world, The Wire Cutter. They just named the Tortuga Outbreaker Backpack the best travel backpack in the world. So it's not just me that loves Tortuga. It's also the good people over at The Wire Cutter. So if you're looking for the best travel backpack, head on over to tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget to use the promo code EPOP. That's E-P-O-P, all capital letters. That'll get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who shockingly and proudly proclaimed as we were driving on our road trip today that Scranton was, quote, her hood, my (laughs) wife and constant travel companion, Heather. I don't know that I necessarily called it my hood. You said we are in my hood, oh. your exact words. Well, because I was, I was, Travis doesn't like to use the GPS if, if we don't have to use the GPS. And so when he asked how to get to the highway, I was just able to tell him turn by turn the quickest, best way because my brother does live there. And yes, I grew up around that area. And I don't so Scranton, need... <laughs> Pennsylvania is your hood. You were proud about that. You said it in uh, like a no, sense of pride. I was proud about not having to use the GPS. I think you got a little uh, soft spot for Scranton, Pennsylvania there. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what a, well, we are super excited for today's podcast. Um, one of the things that, that I think you are proud of or one of the places that you do really like is Philadelphia. I'd be correct in saying that, right? I mean, it's okay. Okay, so you don't (laughs) like Philadelphia either? Jeez. I'm just kidding. No, I love Philadelphia. I think anybody who's ever listened 
to me reference Philadelphia in our podcast knows how much I love it and I'm super happy to call it you know your hood my my hood <laughs> so Philadelphia is now your hood not Scranton well, you grew up a Northeast PA girl. Now you've moved down to the big city of Philadelphia. Pretty much, yes. And and now that we spend so much time in Philadelphia, you know, not just including our home, which is in the suburbs, but in the actual city of Philadelphia, I do feel like I know how to use the the this not know how to use the GPS. I mean, not use the GPS when we're in Philadelphia to get my way around there. Yeah, we've both become much more acclimated to Philadelphia. And today, what we wanted to do is we want to give you an overview of our Airbnb process. So if some of you may have known if you've been listening to the podcast for a while or if you've been following us on email or anything like that or on or on social media, that we've recently got three investment properties to rent out short term on Airbnb. We've been getting a lot of questions about that and people asking us if we, we could show them how we do it or kind of reveal quote-unquote, our secrets. Um, and so what we wanted to do in today's podcast is just give you an overview of why we decided to do it. So why we decided to get into the short-term rental game, you know, especially as people who for so long were nomadic and didn't even have a home base. And now we've got four properties. Why did we decide to do it? How we pick the locations and the properties, the process that we get uh, that we have once we get the house. We'll also give you some tips for, for listing a house if you're someone who's interested in maybe listing your own house or, or even getting an investment property in the future. And then some of the biggest lessons that we've learned so far. So this is going to serve as an overview onto how and why you know, or why and how to set up an Airbnb property. So if you're listening, maybe you're someone who already has a property and you're looking to maybe list it, you know, when you go away, or you might be looking to actually get an investment property and do what we've done and have a thing that is just used for Airbnb or its primary mode is for Airbnb. So we wanted to kind of pull the curtain back on what we've been doing the last six months and give you guys some tips and tricks for that. And of course, we are by no means experts at this point. We've been doing it for about a year and a half now. So we have learned some things, but we're excited to learn some other things as we go along. We're going to touch on those as we go through the podcast as well. So yeah. It's, it's, definitely, been, it's definitely been an exciting but very busy past seven months. Buying three properties in seven months is, you know, it's it's challenging. It's a lot. And Heather's <laughs> looking at me and she's saying it's challenging. I was the one pushing this forward. So let's let's get right into this and let's start with we'll we'll give you an overview of the properties that we we do have at this point. So we may reference them and this kind of will give you an idea of what we're talking about. So our very first property that we have is our home base, what we consider our home at this moment, and that is in the suburbs of Philadelphia, um in, in Phoenixville. And so that is a four bedroom, but really now it's going to be three bedroom because there's an office there. But that's a three bedroom, 1500 square foot, two bathroom place in Phoenixville that we have set up and all our stuff is there. And that is that is our home. Right. And we decided when we moved back into our home that in order to continue continually travel, you know, to be able to afford to leave for a month, two months at a time, that we would try to Airbnb our own home out. And at first we weren't sure if it was going to be easier if, you know, you we would get any interest in in the property because it's not in a big city. It's in a suburb. And I mean, I think it does help that it's in this, in the suburb of the fifth biggest city in the U S but still, I mean, we didn't know what the draw would be for that area. And we were very pleasantly surprised with basically 
how much interest we got and how easy it was to do. Yeah, and we'll touch on that in just a moment of of how we of that was a big part of why we decided to get into it to just run down the other properties as well. We have uh, the first investment property that we bought is on Laurel Street. So if you hear Laurel Street, that we'll we'll say house number one. Um, that was that is right in an area of Philadelphia called Northern Liberties. It is a two bedroom, one bath, about a thousand square feet, but it actually has a third floor loft, which allows it to have two more bedrooms. So really, it can sleep eight people. Um, And that was our very first property. And that one is rocking and rolling at this point. And we purchased that in December of 2016. So really started on Airbnb. It it was listed beginning January 2017. Yeah. And since it was listed, it's been booked a lot of the time. Yeah, definitely our most consistent one and uh, you know the one that's been on there the, la- the longest and things like that. House number two is a new construction condo that is in a similar neighborhood, only about um, a mile away from house number one. That is a two-bedroom, brand-new construction condo, so a little bit different. We did that a little more luxury, and that place we purchased then about two months later, so that has been on Airbnb since about beginning of April, mm-hmm. uh, maybe th- I took about three months, I guess three months later, that's been on since the beginning of April of 2017. And then the third house, the one we just got is the biggest one yet. That is in Old City of Philadelphia. And we had had our eye on Old City because that's where, you know, near Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell. And if you're a tourist, that's kind of the area that you're looking probably to stay in, at least if you're looking to do touristy things. And that is a four bedroom, two and a half bath, Little backyard, possible roof deck. It's not on yet, but we're looking to do that. That's about 1,300 square feet. So it was the biggest, most expensive one yet, for sure. And that just got listed on Airbnb right in the mid-June. So we just got that up mid-June 2017. Yeah, so that's that's a lot of properties. <laughs> yeah, and so one of the things that people always ask us and one of the, why we decided to get into it, and especially because we are location independent, and I think for a lot of people, the misnomer or or the fallacy is that, okay, by having all these properties, it's going to cause us to be less location independent. And I would say that is true in the beginning. When you're, when you're getting them set up and, and buying them and purchasing them and everything like that and then furnishing them, it definitely does take a lot of our time. And it, was, it, it could be done if we weren't there feasibly. If we had someone else do it. But you know, if you're buying a house, you do have to be at the closing and doing the paperwork and things like that. And you could pay someone to furnish it. But in all these cases, we did it ourselves. Yeah. And so we have been, it has helped that we've been around to do that. But the long-term goal is the fact that we will be able to manage these from from anywhere. Um, working through Airbnb system, we, we use Airbnb solely at this point. We don't use VRBO or HomeAway or any of those other ones. But the same same idea works for, for any of those platforms that you would use. But the idea is that we will be able to manage them from a distance. We will have cleaners and we'll get into all that as well in just a moment. But that this is another way for us to make a location independent income stream. It might not be location independent right away and it will be and it helps that we're in Philly while we were buying them and furnishing them. But our goal is then to be able to do it from anywhere in the world, wherever we have internet. So have, talk a little bit about why we decided to to get into the Airbnb game. Like I just talked about, we want it to be location independent. We don't think it will hurt that lifestyle at all. But why even start down this path? Well, because 
for us as individuals, it combined two things that both of us really love. Trav loves real estate. He has always loved real estate. Anywhere we've ever gone in the world, he has always checked out the local real estate scene in that country and has always wanted to have an investment property. So I knew it was only a matter of time until, you know, that happened for us. And I encouraged Trav to, you know, pursue that dream. I also really love interior design and decorating a space to make it really enjoyable for people to stay there. And I like hospitality type things. You know, I like that type of industry. So for us, it was kind of a no brainer because we both enjoy like the two main aspects of investment property on Airbnb. And one of the things that we did, we didn't jump right into it. We, our house that we lived in, our house in Phoenixville, our home base, what we did uh, way back is when we first moved back in, and Heather mentioned when we were going away for longer periods of time, it was going to help us pay our mortgage. But it was also a bit of a guinea pig for us to see if we really did enjoy it because we thought, well, we do like this. You know, I love real estate. I love looking at it. I love finding the good deals. Heather's great at getting it set up and the hospitality end and all of that. So we thought it would be something we were, were good at and were interested in. But we said, before we jump into and dive into just buying an investment property and going for it, why don't we try it with our own property? And I urge anyone who's looking to possibly do something like this to, to do that as well, to take your own property, use it, put it on Airbnb, see if you actually enjoy the process. We did that for about a year. And in a year, we had, I think, eight groups through our, our own home when, when we were away. And we had really good experiences and we did enjoy it and we did like it. And so that was a bit of a trial period for us to see if, hey, is it worth it us taking a big risk and dumping money into actually buying an investment property? And for us, after giving that trial period, we both agreed that it was something that we then wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, as most of you will know, Travis doesn't like to take huge risks. So I guess it does really make sense that at the time, like I knew we were kind of testing it out in case we wanted to do investment properties. But I think that was more on your mind. Like, am I going to like this? Am I going to want to buy a short-term investment plan. Yeah, and I think it's a good thing for anything, but especially something like a big decision like this. Give it a try. If you already own your own home or even and if And if you feel comfortable renting out your home. Sure, it is It is a bit different. We did. Uh, we could understand someone's reservations if they said, well, I just want to get an investment property. I don't want to rent out my own home. That's fine. We felt comfortable with it. Even if you're renting an apartment and you might be looking to buy an investment property, there are some ways that you can you could do that. If your landlord lets you, maybe you, you give it a go and, and try it out because there are going to be some things that come up that you don't know until you actually start doing it. So that's why we decided to get into it because we had good experience in our Phoenixville house. We both thought we had the skills and and it was something that we saw an opportunity as well and that we can get into how we picked the location now. You know, for us, Philly made sense because we know the area better than most other areas and we certainly have gotten to know it really well over the last year and a half as I've started to ramp up my knowledge and you did as well, have of the neighborhoods and what would work. And we really dived into it because we knew we were looking for investment properties. So Philly for us made sense because we didn't want to get more stuff out in the suburbs. Because even though we had success with our, our Phoenixville house in the suburbs, that was longer term. And you know it was kind of like, why are people coming through here? It was always a different reason. Oh, wedding or a, 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 there's a conference center somewhat close or someone's coming through for a golf tournament. Like there was various things. Kind we of knew random things. A city this is going to be more legitimate. Yeah, a city, there are always 
travelers coming through and tourists coming through. And, and I think that we're lucky in the respect that Philadelphia is still a very affordable city in the U.S. to buy real estate. So all of the properties that we purchased, we tried to get, you know, at a very reasonable price, not something that was like overly priced. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, for sure. And and obviously, it's going to be relative for for where people live. Some people are going to be living in cities that are cheaper and be like, oh, man, Philadelphia is so expensive. But if you're someone who's living in San Diego or San Francisco or New York, you look at Philly prices and you think, oh, my gosh, this is incredible that you can get something downtown for, for these prices. So it is going to be relative. But for us, it made sense because we knew that it was reasonably priced for what we wanted. Um, and and we could swing it, and we also knew the area, and we knew we were also going to be around Philly a decent amount, so that getting started, you know, we weren't, ideally, my goal is to buy properties in different cities around the U.S., but to get started, it was much easier because we were there, we knew the area, we have people there. when we go home, that is where we go home, so if anything needs to be managed, you know, we are nearby. Yeah. Some of the time. (laughs) Yeah. And so that's how we picked Philly overall. And then as far as picking neighborhoods, that just comes from from knowing a city and knowing an area. Researching which areas are cool, what's kind of hip, what's artsy, what's up and coming. You know, if you're really into the investment game, you could get a place that's, you know, hasn't quite hit like a hip area yet, but maybe will be in the next year or two. Now, we haven't done that as much in Philly because... It's it's a little tougher with the short-term game, too, because you, you don't want to get something sure. that's just like gentrifying then or is going to because... Uh, you know, it might be harder to rent. It might be harder to rent in the beginning. You might make more, and that's kind of our thing. Is like, yes, we're looking for appreciation in the home values, but more than that, we're looking to make money off the actual short term round. So for us, we always look at it as like depreciation is icing on the cake. Can we make money off the short term rounds? And then we always do have the fallback plan getting into it of long term rounds. Like if we can't short term rent this. What does the long-term rental market look like? How much can we get per month if we if someone signs a year lease? Is it enough to cover all our expenses and everything like that? If so, then it starts to look like a win for us. Right. And and I do have to say that when we are looking at a house, you know, to put an offer in on a house, Trav definitely goes through a process that's kind of, you know, nerdy and he runs a lot of numbers, but I do appreciate that. And I think it's really important that, you know, if you decide to buy that investment property, you need to know the market, the Airbnb market around that area. So you know what other people are listing their properties at, what you think you can list your property at and how it works to pay the mortgage. Yeah, the nerdy process is very nerdy. It certainly is. <laughs> I have big spreadsheets, but it in essence boils down to what are the other Airbnbs in that immediate area? Like what's the closest comparable Airbnb you can find? And there might be a few. And so like what are the high price and low prices? And then you figure out, all right, what do I think I can get for an average? And then you look at all your costs, how much is going to cost you to buy it? Um, how much is it, you know, taxes, all that. So you figure that out. So you say, how much are my monthly costs? And then what I like to do is say, all right, if this is my average nightly rate that I'm going to charge and this is my monthly cost, how many days a month do I need to rent it out to to break even? So for me, anything under 10 is starting to look like a decent buy. And under then if, 10? 
under 10 nights. And and 10 so nights, so yeah. let's say, you know, you need 2500 and you're renting a month and you're renting out for 250, okay, you're at you're at 10 nights to cover your cost. So anything under 10 nights is really looking good. If you can get down in that 8 range, I mean, you're you're really really doing well. Um one of the reasons we did pick Philly as well, while it certainly is seasonable a little bit on the East Coast, of course there's more people coming through in the summer and traveling through summer, fall and things like that. It's because it's a big city. There are always people coming through. So, I know some people with a short with vacation rentals. You know, they will go with totally seasonable places like like at ski resorts or or at the beach. That's a whole nother strategy. That's not something we're getting into yet. So that's another reason we looked at because we looked at something that was fairly stable for throughout all twelve the year, months throughout the year. Yeah. So that's how we kind of picked Philadelphia and and the neighborhoods in general. We did diversify a bit. We have our three properties in Philadelphia are in three different neighborhoods. Now, all told, they're, you know, they're each about a mile. So it's like the old city one is a mile from the Northern Liberties one and the Northern Liberties one is a mile from the Fishtown one. And they're kind of in a straight line. So it just... Just worked out that way, which is pretty cool and then easy for us if we have to be, you know, doing things at some of the houses all on the same day. But I, I do think it's really cool because we have picked really fun neighborhoods in Philadelphia. Yeah, and that plays a little bit into the role and the style of each house. And this is something so once you get the house or even when you're looking at a house, but but for you know, when you're looking at a house and trying to decide on it and then after you get it, Heth, talk a little bit about this because this is where you really you know, you you really start to take over and this is kind of your forte is all right, what are we going to be setting this house up as? Is it going to be a luxury rental? Is it going to be more for groups and families? I mean, there's a there's a lot of people that you can target here. And our houses are all a little different. Yes, for sure. And and I do think that it's a good idea, like if you're working with a partner like Trav and I working together, that we both kind of took on different roles like Trav knew he would find the house and and work out the numbers and because the I would walk stuff. into any house with our realtor yes. who also would walk in any house, and I probably have been through at least oh, two hundred houses at least. in Philly, and, and some and of I them got, are falling down. And right, have, and, and now I, I know not to invite her. To those. I got sick of it. I'm like, I don't want to waste like a day looking at places. So anyway, Travis would narrow it down. He'd say, okay, this is a house you might like. I think you know we should put an offer in, and then I would go look at it. And then my role was more like, let's design. I will design this, and of course I would. I would talk to Trav about it, but in the end, it was kind of like that was my lead role. And the first house, he was kind of like wanted to be more involved in, and we had a few more arguments. And then I was like, from now on, just let me design it. And he does help me. The but arguments like we each have, have roles. The arguments have certainly decreased. And that is one of the big lessons I learned is that. Obviously, Heather knows what she's doing with this. I wanted to be so involved and I was so excited with the first one. Which is that understandable. I, I just, you know, I wanted to be, <laughs> I wanted to know which measuring cups we were picking out and which knife set and all this kind of stuff. And it was, it was, a, I was a little too overbearing. Let's put it that way. A little bit, but it's fine. And we worked it out. And then each house after that was easier because we did buy some similar things for each house. But what I think is important, like the process once you get the house is you have to really read the the character and the style of that particular house. So Philadelphia is an older city. And the first house that we bought, it wasn't 
and is an older house and it kind of has these like quirky things to it, like exposed brick walls and like kind of small spaces because when was the house built in like yeah, eight, 18 pre 1870s. Yeah. So that house, we were kind of like, let's make it more like, you know, f- vintage and kind of minimal and not super luxury, but, but still cool and everything in it was basically new or we found some vintage type stuff and one of the things with that house as well and what we marketed i think one of the reasons we had such good success with that one is it can sleep eight people there are four bedrooms in essence each with a queen bed well one has a full-size bed in it but you know the other three have queen-size beds in them and so it is marketed. Now, Now the living room and kitchen are smaller, so you're not going to have eight people just hanging out in the living room. But how we set it up was, all right, this is more of for groups or families. You know, if you have four or more people, you're going to get a pretty good deal because it's not a huge space. It's not going to no. be luxury, the but it's more for a lot of people to come small. through. So it's kind of like a really good deal if you're coming to Philly, this first house. So the way that I furnished it was representative of that. We didn't spend a ton of money on furnishings at this house. and But what I do think is important is that you make everything look fresh and new. So we did buy all new beds. We have all new sheets and all new duvets and duvet covers that are not even that expensive. And I'm talking about like we used Amazon Basics for all of our sheets, which are amazingly affordable. And we have two to three sheets sets per bed so that they don't get worn out easily. And then we have brand new duvets so that I just think like when I'm looking at Airbnbs for us, because we stay at Airbnbs a lot, I hate to book a place that looks like the bedding is old. You know, I, I think it's really right, important. Like it was because, an afterthought. Right. And it's just like, I think like that's where people are spending most of their time because they're coming here on, on a touristy trip and they're out all day sightseeing. And I think that, you know, your bed, the place where they're sleeping should be almost like a hotel. So that's the one place that I really think is important that you spend a little extra time and effort to make it look like, oh yes, I want to sleep here and it's going to be comfortable and clean. Right. And so the first house was, it's more of like, hey, this is a good deal. You can have a large group in. It's it's fine. Like it's, it's definitely big enough, but you're not going to be just, it's not these huge open spaces. The second house we got was a brand new construction condo. And so we furnished that as if it was a luxury and it's only two bedrooms. So really you can only have six people if, if right. two people are on an air mattress. But it's it's made to be for your higher end. All right, I'm coming. I want a luxury place. It's all brand new. Everything is clean. It's open concept, things like that. Right. And to just give you an idea, like the the house that the, the first investment property, which has four beds and bedrooms technically that we had to outfit. And the two-bedroom luxury condo, we spent more on. So we'll say that we spent about 8000 on the first investment property with more bedrooms and 10000 on the luxury condo that only had two bedrooms. And you could obviously do it you know, cheaper or a lot more expensive than us. I mean, we really try to find like the best deals and we go to lots of different places and I'm like shopping like crazy at lots of different you know, stores in order to get the best deals. So Yeah. Yeah. And so the furnishings, one of the cool things about the process when you actually start doing this and, you know, it was much, I said that it was very hard for the first one and I was nitpicking everything. 
and we also wrote everything down so that it would be easier on the second one because a lot of the same stuff we ordered and it was the same. So we went back through our Amazon orders. Boom, same knife set, same coffee maker, same this, same that. You know, some things didn't change. Obviously, the couches and things for the for each space changes and the, and the tables and dining room tables and things like that. But for example, we have found now really, really good deals on beds, on these, you know, on these Zenus memory foam beds that you can get that are about 275 bucks for a queen mattress. Don't need a box spring. Then it's like another 150 to 200 bucks for the headboard and everything. So you're looking at under $500 per bed. And so every single house we've gotten, including our home now, which we outfitted our guest room in this, is the Zenus bed. So we we do have a process now of maybe 50% of the things in a house, we already know what we're getting, no matter what house it's going right. to be. And the, the prime sources that we use for this, in case you're interested, are Amazon. Prime. <laughs> Amazon Prime. We couldn't live without it. Ikea. Fortunately, Philadelphia has two Ikeas, so we hit them both up very frequently. And we we get all of our bedding and things like that there and like the dishes and the silverware because you just can't get it cheaper anywhere else. Right. Our actual beds, we do get the ones we just talked about. We get on, on Amazon, Amazon and a lot of the cup. Well, like the knife sets and the coffee makers. Right. and. Things like that. So I would say we get, you know, half the stuff on Amazon, half the stuff at Ikea. And then for like the decorations, I go to Home Goods. I go to Target. And, you know, that way each house has unique things and it's not just, you know, everything looks exactly the same. And I don't like everything to look like it's from Ikea. You know, I want to make it look like, oh, maybe this is from Ikea, but then other things are sourced from other places. So it has more character. Yeah, it's one of but those. But still really good deals. It's one of those maybe 50%. Like you don't want to get, at first we're like, everything we should get should be unique. And then we're like, this is going to be impossible because right. every house is then starting from scratch. So 50 to, as we said, maybe 50% of it is just the same no matter what house. And, and that's fine. And then we, yeah, it's cool to get those accent pieces. And that's where the style and, and the theme of a house comes in and in, is in those accent pieces. And, oh, we're going to get this rug for this place because it's going to tie this in, or we're going to get this cool, like modern light like um light in the living room because that's going to tie this in for this house and things like that so you definitely want to look at the you know with the furnishings and the styles as heather's uh, been talking about and, is, and she's good at you know what are you looking like who are you looking to stay there like you don't want to make something luxury and then have it like marketed to bachelor parties and bachelorette parties because stuff's going to get trashed. And so we don't market any of our stuff to, to that kind of stuff. It's not, none of them are like quote unquote crash pads. They're all marketed to what would you say, like average slash a little above that with the, with the brand new condo being more high end luxury. One of the things that we do at every single property and probably one of the most important things is to put an electric keypad on the door. That way, every person can just come through. You know, you never have to be there to give them a set of keys. They can just punch in the code and and go in. And it's super simple. And we debated between getting a smart keypad where people could open them from their phone or we could open it from, you know, another country from our phone if necessary. But that gets tricky. And we, and we thought that, you know, what if somebody doesn't have service? Maybe they're traveling from another country and their phone doesn't even work and they can't get the code to their phone. So it just adds another level of 
Like it's cool and it's techy, but we thought it might be more trouble than it was worth. So just having an old fashioned electronic keypad that is not connected to a Wi-Fi system is what we have found to be the best. Yeah, I think when you're doing Airbnb, you want to make it as automated as possible and as simple as possible. And there's ways to go overboard. And as we said, like with the smartphone keys and it looked cool and they are cool, but we thought, well, then it that it can has present potential an issue. issues. Yeah, much more than if you just had this little keypad, which then alleviates all the problems of having actual keys and things like that. And so that's one of the things when we will now move into kind of giving you tips for, for listing the house and things that we've picked up and lessons we've learned. One of the things that we have learned is like make it as simple as possible on you and on the guests. Like some things can be cool, but can be much harder. And some things, you know, are are things that you do need to update. Like why in this day and age should you be giving anyone actual keys that they can lose or drop or take with them by accident or anything like that? I don't know. I, I don't see any reason to it unless your door is too skinny, like our door in our, our home in Phoenixville in the suburbs is too it's skinny like to actually put on super old door, like the original door to yeah. our house. So. And we can't put a keypad on there. But if you can, you definitely should. And they're pretty easy to install. And they cost around $100, $120 yeah. maybe. Yeah. And we haven't had any issues with it yet or anything like that. Um, as far as when you when you do get a place listing the house, and I, you know this is going everyone's going to have their different style with this, but there are some things that are certainly essential when you're listing the house, and the first of that would be good photos. I I can't it's tell you essential. how many Airbnb listings have we looked at where the photos are off. When I'm thinking like, who is even booking this? If someone can't take a decent photo in this day and age, why am I going to book the Airbnb house? It could be fine. It could be a great deal. Right. But there's so much competition and out there. Why would I? Especially get one good photo because that's the first photo that everybody sees when they're looking at all of the Airbnbs in that area. Now, depending on where you live, Airbnb, I believe, still does free photography, professional photography for, for listings. So we haven't done that yet. We probably will do that this summer now that we have all these three houses up and running. Um, fortunately, we can take pretty good pictures and we have a DSLR camera. So it's worked out so far, but the professional pictures will be even better. So we do want to do that. And I would encourage people to do that because when people are looking to book your property, that's the only thing they have to go off of. And if the pictures aren't good, you're going to get less bookings. Yeah. You just are. You certainly are. You need good photos. I Good photos are even more paramount than I think your actual written listing because Someone, that's the first thing they're going to do is click on the photo, scroll through really quickly. If they're decent, then they'll read the listing. If they're awful, they'll probably leave. If they're amazing, then they'll certainly read the listing. And when we talk about the, the listing, you know, you want again to be as specific as possible. You know, I probably actually write too much in our listing because I, when I'm looking at a house, I want to know exactly what I'm getting into. You know, sometimes pictures can be deceiving. So I write exactly what's on each floor and what to expect and you know floor one and it, it you know it goes the living room into the kitchen and it has a gas it's range very and, descriptive yeah because i think a lot of people want that especially people as airbnb gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger you are getting a lot of people who have used it once or twice before so if someone's used it 40 times sure 
they they kind of have an idea of what they're getting into. We kind of know what we're getting into and we have an Airbnb now. A lot of people are using it for the first or second time. So you do have to build that trust. Yeah, definitely. I think that we do a good job with our listings and we also think of a, a good title for the house. I think that's important. That can kind of grab people's attention. And we have decided not to use the price tips. So Airbnb has this feature where they will put on, you know, the suggested price for your listing that night. And it puts it on smart pricing, which we usually find to be too low for our, our places. But we do look at it and then we lower or raise our prices kind of depending on that. But we don't leave that automatically turned on because sometimes they recommend like, $62 a night, which is way too low, we think. And we will lower it, you know, during the week sometimes our first investment property to like 100 or $125 a night. And we always get people in when we when we lower it to that price. You, you do want to set a, uh, a balance between, you know, obviously if you set your price low enough, you could probably get someone in there almost every night. But do you want someone in there every night? You have to look at not just the money you're getting, but what it's worth to you. I mean, they're going to be in there. There's going to be wear and tear on your house. You might have to deal with other with with guests. So that's one of the reasons that we have decided to always do a two-day minimum as well. So some people allow people to stay for just one night. We do not. We have a two-day minimum for all of our properties. And uh, in the summer, sometimes we even bump that up to a three-day minimum if people are coming for the weekends because... Obviously, we we'd rather have someone in for three nights than two nights. It's more money. It's you know, it's less. You know, the more people you come in, the more hassle it can be. So you know, you do want to play around with that. I'm not saying that you shouldn't have only one night. Yeah, I know some it's people up, who do it's it. Up it's up to you. you. But for us, it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth the headache, especially because we wanted it. Like we don't want this to be a full time gig, and we don't want to be a property management service all the time. What we want to do is have this as an investment and lead our regular lifestyle, and have this make some additional income. So for us, it's not worth it to have someone yeah. come in. And one that night. brings it back to like how Trav makes his dorky spreadsheets. The numbers we know we don't have to rent it out thirty days of the month. We know we only have to rent it out half of the month or ten days of the month in order to make the payments in, in order to make money. So I think that that's basically like the best tips we can give other than a lot of people use instant book. We highly recommend having your listing as an instant book listing because more people will book it. That being we, we said, actually, we should say we turned our one, our second place, our condo off of instant book to just play around with it a little bit. And we haven't seen anyone book it then in the last week. Whereas when it was on instant book, it was actually booked every single night, crazily enough, since it had been listed. Now, it was mostly like longer term people coming in for a week or so. But the instant book thing plays a huge, huge part. I think a lot of people don't want to... Well, we should explain instant book. I think if you don't know, it it literally is just that. Like a hotel room. Like you a can hotel. Book it. You don't have to approve it. Like Travis and I do not have to approve it on the account. Now, we do have one caveat where we do require the guests to have previous reviews in order to instant book. Right. So sometimes people can't instant book. They still have to message us. They kind of tell us what they're about and we decide yes or no. But 90% of the time people have previous reviews and they can instant book and it's just very seamless and we don't even have to do anything. Right. 
ideally, I and and Airbnb is obviously pushing people to do the instant book because it's it's just better for everyone and it's less work for their people and it's less work for the people looking to book a place and it's uh, usually less work for you as the host as well. So you can set parameters, as Heather mentioned. We don't allow people with zero reviews to instant book because we want them, you know, we want to make, we want to actually go in and authorize and, and, you know, they usually send an email telling us why they're coming, things like that. So we almost always say yes anyway after that. Yeah. There's been a few instances where, you know, people just didn't explain what they were doing and we'd ask additional questions so we could get a feel for how many people were going to be there and seem, things seemed like, nah, it might not have been shady. It just, we weren't comfortable with it and we know we could get other people in. So we didn't um, allow it, but for sure, Instant Book is going to get you more bookings. Um, the other thing, just with listing a house, and we'll go into the lessons we've learned now, is that you do want to decide how much you want to do. So for us right now, we are managing our properties, but we have a cleaning service who comes in and they, they have our calendar. And when someone books, they can see it there. And we don't even have to contact them. They know all right, I got to come in between these two guests or what what have you. So they come in and they do all the cleaning. So right now we are managing it. We made the listings. We put up the pictures. We interact with the guests and all that over the email, over the email. I was going to say over the messaging service on Airbnb, over the, the email. Um, but we don't clean it ourselves. You know, We don't take care of any of that. Some people then have a property management service do all of that. Like they don't do anything. They've totally outsourced everything. And we might go that direction as we get more properties or as we see it making more money and we have more margin there. Yeah. But right now we do enjoy the guest interaction. If there are any hiccups or things like that, we like to be able to smooth things over because we are invested in it because it's our property. So I think it is important to sometimes have that interaction. And I think also we're only six months into having these properties, like these straight investment properties. So it's nice to see what happens, to kind of be there on the ground level, understand what's happening, understand what's going on, see some of the situations that come up so that in the future, if it is a property management service, we know what they're doing as well. And just to be clear, when Trev says on the ground level, it doesn't mean that we're always in Philadelphia. Like we were in Vancouver, Canada for a month and sometimes we had hiccups, and but we can still respond to the messages and have the interaction and, and things like that. So you don't have to be, again, right next door to your investment property in order to message a guest and you know, if things go wrong. Yeah. And some, so one of the big lessons we've learned so far um, is that three houses is a lot. <laughs> so it was not really the plan. Although I guess looking back, I could see this happening because I was so obsessed. I was looking every morning, I was waking up and looking at the properties that had gone up in for sale in Philadelphia the night before. Like that would be the first thing I did when I woke up. So looking back, it's like, oh, it's not a surprise there was three, but we didn't plan on that. We got the first one, and then like two months later, we got the second one, and then this one in Old City popped up that was a single family home that's very rare at that price point in Old City, and we jumped on it. Um, but it has been. It has been a very hectic six months for sure. 
Right, because it takes up a lot of our time and we have other businesses to run in. It definitely wasn't bad. And it, it, I don't regret any of the properties in any way. It's just that now we know that we have three up and running and we're kind of just going to take a break and not buy anymore for a little while, especially because we have a lot of other stuff going on in our life right now. And these ones are are running and that's exciting. It's like nice that we got three of them ready to go in seven months and they're all just going. And and that's exciting and it feels like a relief and like really. Yeah, um, and it, it's I think another part of that is to actually see how well they do. Now it's time to sit back and see how it works and see if what we think is going to happen is going to happen, i.e. hopefully that means we make some money and it's not too stressful and it's not too hard on us. And, you know, I don't know, we have opinions on which one's like kind of little side bets, Heather and I, and and uh, my parents who are involved in it some too, of which ones we think are going to make the most and which ones are going to be the most successful and things like that. So, you know, because they are three distinct properties in distinct areas and kind of, you know, different price points and all. So now it's time to sit back and see what happens and then make some more educated guesses if we do decide to get some more houses. But three houses is a lot. It, it You know, one of the lessons we've learned is it is some work. The first two took us about two and a half weeks from when we made settlement to actually furnishing and turning it around, which is... Uh, Originally, I thought we could do it in one week. That was crazy because two and a half weeks is very, very fast. And this last one actually took us for almost five five weeks, weeks. four and a half to five weeks. And that was because we had to get some stuff updated and painted and change out lights and all things like that. So, you know, I think that reasonably you can furnish a place in in two to three weeks if it doesn't need any updating any maintenance and things like that. And and when I say that, I'm saying that most of our time was spent doing this. We weren't, you know, working a ton on our other businesses at the time of furnishing. Yeah, it was pretty, I mean, we would say almost two and a half weeks, almost full time trying to get it ready when all was said and done. Um, Obviously, if you lived right next to the property, it might be less because there was a lot of time we were spending in transit back and forth between the suburbs and buying stuff and all that. But yeah, it's it's going to be really hard to get it done in any in in quicker than two weeks unless it's already set up and all you're doing is making a listing and putting up on Airbnb. We've also learned that some things just don't work. For example, like we had an area rug in the living room at our first property, but it was a high traffic area. Like people had to walk over it in order to get to other places in the house and it just got so trashed and looked really dumpy. So then we just just decided not to have any rug in there at all. So, you know, if things aren't working, you want to make sure that you're checking things, checking on things every once in a while because things get so much wear and tear with people coming through and, you know, you want it to look fresh and have that first impression people walk in to be a really welcoming space. Yeah, this is one of the bigger sticking points between Heather and I is she always wants to make everything look really nice and really perfect as if it was like in, in you know, in a magazine, which is great for the pictures <laughs> and to put it up. But I'm like, Heth, this is actually going to get lived in and get used by real people coming through on trips. And so we have to, you know, it's it's a line between how nice do you want it to be knowing that some of the stuff is going to get used and it's not going to ever look as good 
as it did when you finished decorating and no one was in there. So we do certainly kind of have to toe that line a little bit. And sometimes I have to say like, no, this rug, like I did tell her that one rug that we did take out <laughs> of that first property right. was going to get destroyed, which it did. So you you learn that kind of stuff. Some things don't work. And then another lesson we learned is some things just aren't worth it as well. So, you know, I want when we want have to have... Every, the guests have the best experience. We want them to have everything. So like, oh, we should put a fire pit outside in this backyard. and We should have a grill there so then people can be outside and grill and all that. And then we just started thinking about the logistics of it and saying, well, wait, if we put a fire pit, do we have to provide them with wood? Do they have to go find wood? Because if they have to find wood, that's that's going to be a hassle. No one's going to do that. No one's going to come to Philly and be like, oh, there's a fire pit. Now let me go search this city for yeah. firewood. So, you know, sometimes you just, even though it's really cool, it's just too much hassle. You have to say like, and what is, what Where are people do you draw the line? actually, like what's cool and fun and funky and, and good for people? And what are people actually going to use a majority of the time? Fire pit, great, but there's that issue. The grill. Okay, well, who changes out the propane tanks then, right? Like what happens when the gr- gas grill runs out? Do we have to pay the cleaners to go do it? We're not going to come do it. Are we going to have the guests get it? No, they're not going to get it. So we, those are some things that we've just learned that it would be cool if they had, but no one's going to miss it if they don't. So you have to kind of think Simplify like that Simplify well. a little bit, for sure. For sure. Um, and the kind of the last lesson, this kind of, this goes, we knew this going in, but it has just been hammered into us more and more and more. Um, the more reviews we get and that we talk to people who have stayed there to say like, what have you like getting someone a welcome present? And by this, we mean five, $10 welcome gift. Yeah. Sometimes we get, you know, a $9 bottle of wine. We try to keep it under $10 you know, a little local snack or treat. In Philadelphia, there's this really cool company where they put together like a little gift bag of local snacks to Philadelphia. And we started getting those and they price out to be under $10 a gift bag. And I just think it's nice to have that little thing there to welcome people because it makes them feel extra special. And it it sets the the whole stay off on a really good note. Yeah, and almost every review we get from people will say like, thanks so much for the, you know, there's popcorn in the one welcome gift. There's thanks so much for the the local food. It's just, it's a very easy thing to do, but it goes a long way and it goes with that. Making that first impression is so big when you want to get a good review. I mean, that's, that's or, or just for people to experience their time. When they walk in and the place is clean, and they see that welcome gift sitting there immediately. They're like, this is going to be nice. And, you know, if you don't do anything to screw it up, that's going to be their impression all the way through. Um, so getting a welcome gift is a very, now if is, is very important. If you're, you know, if you're renting a place and it's like 50 bucks a night and it's super cheap. Yeah. Maybe you're not going to spend $10 on a welcome gift, you know, but getting something small or just putting those little special touches out there. I think people really, really, really enjoy. Absolutely. And, you know, reviews are your bread and butter on Airbnb. So you want to make sure that you have, you know, five stars. Yeah. And always, <laughs> always, always, if someone leaves you a review, make sure you review them as a guest. Because if they leave you a review and you don't review them, it doesn't show up on your thing. So do everything you can to get those good reviews, especially in the beginning. Because if your listing has only one or two reviews, you know, people are going to skip over it in the beginning. So if you can get a few people in right away, get three, four reviews, um, that'll look really, really good and stuff will start snowballing from there. So overall, um, we we have really, really loved 
the air like the Airbnb investment experience, like being host of investment properties for Airbnb. Um, it, it's been great. It's been a lot of work. It certainly added a frantic pace to our life for the last seven months. But it's but something that's only we... because we bought three in seven sure. months. You know, if you buy one and you wait six months or a year and you buy another one, it won't be so frantic. But now that it's done, it's definitely worth it because, you know, we're just going to sit back in the summer and enjoy. I mean, we're going to work on all of our other stuff, of course. But now we have those three things rolling and we don't have to do anything else. Right. Right. And so if you are someone who is, if you're listening to this, obviously you're, you're interested, either you're a super fan, you just listen to every single podcast, which is awesome. Thank you. Or you're interested in some way about either Airbnb your property that you live in now for extra money when you decide to go traveling, or even Airbnb a room in your house for, for extra money or something like that. Or you're someone who's looking to get into that next step, which is buying a property or two or three or something like that as an investment. And um, we just wanted to do the podcast to give you our experience. We've been getting a lot of questions about it. So this is an overview of, of what we've experienced and kind of what we enjoyed about it, You know, some of the obstacles that we faced, and also some of the tips and tricks that we learned so that you know, if you are someone who's going to get into it, you can take this and start to run with it and obviously put your own touches on it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to hit us up on social media or email. And, you know, we would be happy to help. And I I just I don't know. I hope this kind of excites people because it is really fun to do it. And, And we have definitely enjoyed it and also offers us, you know, another level of like entrepreneurship, because now we have this as. It's, like another thing. It's kind thing. of nice it's, to it's have cool. a real world thing, like a physical, hey, we have a house, we can touch it, you know, we, we do all this stuff digitally too, but it's nice to have something in the physical world. And it's also nice as a traveler, and we, we didn't really get into this as much in the beginning, but one of the reasons we decided to Airbnb and, and, and be a host is that as travelers, like we've really appreciated the amazing experiences that people have given us around the world when we've stayed at their properties. And we wanted to be able to give that back to people who are traveling through. Like it is a nice community, and all of you who are listening are travelers or uh, and things like that as well. So it's nice to, as a traveler, be able to show off our city in a way that is uniquely us by someone coming and staying at the property that we've furnished, that we've set up with our guidebook of the best places to eat and things like that. So it, it's a nice way to stay in the travel game, but also, as Heather said, level up to a different type of entrepreneurship as well. Yeah, we we love it. And it was a really good fit for us. So hopefully other people out there can, yeah. you know, have a similar experience. And let us know. Uh, you could tweet me at Pack of Peanuts. Of course, send us emails if you liked this. If you want to know more about the Airbnb investment stuff, for sure, we've got some ideas in the pipeline of how we can give you even more information and really for someone who is interested in doing this, get you started and give you a kick in the butt that's even more than just this overview podcast, but give you even more actionable specifics stuff. So I've got an idea of, of master classes and courses that I might try to put together. But um, yeah, I guess now that the three properties are outfitted, I, I might have a little more time uh, <laughs> to do that. So let us know if you did enjoy this or if you want to know more. Um, Yeah, tweet me at Pack of Peanuts. Of course, you can email us, team at extrapackofpeanuts.com. Don't forget, too, if you are out traveling and looking for a good travel backpack, 
um, you can head to tortugabackpacks.com. Use your promo code EPOP. That's E-P-O-P. That'll get you 10% off your entire order. And we have 280 plus other episodes if you're joining us for the first time. Thanks for joining us. If you're someone who's been listening for a while, we love you guys. Thank you for the support as always. That makes us the number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. Until next time. Happy free travels. I'll show you Paris and all that.